All right, so check this out. In um, Hebrews, we see something that is, that is striking. Hebrews chapter 11, it's known as the, uh, the, the chapter of faith or the hall of faith. It's the, the writer of Hebrews is giving us all of these various examples and names of people who are commended for their radical obedience to God and their radical faith in God. And so as we read Hebrews chapter 11, um, and I encourage you to read it maybe later this afternoon, we see these, these examples, we see these names of, of men and women um, that we would expect to see, such as Abraham and Jacob and Moses, like these really solid people of faith who were called friends of God and who had this radical sense of obedience to God, and they were the fathers of the people of Israel. And then we read on in Hebrews chapter 11, and right there in the middle of Hebrews chapter 11 is a name that stands out, jumps off the page at us. Right in the center is Rahab the prostitute. Now, if this is truly the Word of God, meaning if God actually inspired the writers to, to write His Word, then I don't think that God made a mistake. I don't think the Father looked at Jesus and said, yo, what happened? How did she slip through the cracks and make it into the Hebrews chapter 11 passage? And Jesus is like looking at the Holy Spirit and like, hey, he's, he's the inspirer here. No, no, God did not make a mistake. And as we jump forward another book into the book of James, we see the name Rahab mentioned again. Here's James writing about uh, examples of how faith is not just something that, uh, that we believe and just a set of beliefs, but rather faith moves us into action. Faith and action go hand in hand. And so James is giving us two examples of people in the Scriptures who, who demonstrated this kind of faith. And one of them is Abraham, the father of Israel, the man who God called his very own friend. And then compared to Abraham, the only other person that James gives us, Rahab, the prostitute. You see, I think that, first of all, God did not make a, make a mistake by including Rahab in Hebrews and in James as an example. As a matter of fact, I think God is teaching us something here in His Word, something about His character, something about the kind of people that He uses. I think God is teaching us that He uses broken people. I wonder if you are broken this morning. Has your background, has your your lack of talents, your lack of money, your past sins and failures, your present sins and failures, left you with a sense of brokenness, a sense of doubt, a sense of wondering whether or not you could ever really be used in a significant way in the kingdom of God. Or maybe you would say that your brokenness seems to come from God Himself. Like you were pretty happy before your, your, your sins were exposed to you. And now that you're studying the Scriptures and you're examining yourself and you're learning more about God, you're seeing more of the ugliness inside of you. Your, your, your failures are coming to the forefront. 
you're more sensitive to these things and you feel as if the very hand of God has bruised you in some way. And you're looking at your failures and you're looking at your sins and you're wondering whether or not you would ever be able to really have a significant kind of impact for the kingdom of God in this world. So, the question we're examining today is who is this Rahab? And what did God do in Rahab's life? So back to our saga in Joshua. If you want to turn to Joshua chapter 2 with me, this epic that we are working through. Last week was our first uh, sermon in Joshua. We saw the calling of Joshua and the people of Israel. God gave them the green light. It's now time to enter into the land, God said. And so now we see them making their preparations and actually acting on God's decision for them. And what we see here in Joshua chapter 2 is that God uses an unexpected woman to further his own plans. So let's read together Joshua. We're going to read the entire chapter of Joshua chapter 2. Follow along in your Bibles as I read. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two spies, or two men, secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in, in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to the roof and said to them, Oh, I, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how God dried up the water of the Red Sea before you uh, when you came out of Egypt, and, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, I, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters from all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell of this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, and the pursuers will encounter you, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. 
Then afterward, you may go on your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of of the house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we, will, we, we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers had returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given us all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Let's pray. God, we ask that you open our eyes to uh, this passage right now, to the life of Rahab, to the faith of Joshua acting out through sending the spies to the courage and the faith of the spies, uh, believing that you will provide for them. And we see your provision in the unlikely home of a prostitute. And God, as we examine her life today, I pray that we will be encouraged in our own lives. Remind us of your grace. Remind us of your mercy and how you transform broken individuals for your eternal purposes. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So here in part two of our epic saga of Joshua, of the Israelites entering the land, we, we see this house that's owned and operated by a prostitute named Rahab. Now, if you would have visited this house one day prior to the spies showing up, what would, do you know what you would have found? Anybody? Take a guess you would have found a prostitute. A regular prostitute working her job. Some theologians embarrassed by this fact that Rahab was a prostitute and that Rahab is lifted up in Hebrews as an example, that she's lifted up in James as an an example, have tried to explain away the fact that she was a prostitute. They'll say that that word meant something different. Well, that word prostitute, that's translated right there in verse 1, It comes from the Hebrew word zana. Everybody say zana. Now, I'm going to read you the possible definitions for that word. A prostitute. (laughs) To act as a prostitute. Third one. To be a cult prostitute. Prostitute is a pretty darn good translation for that word. Because Rahab couldn't have been anything else. Rahab was a prostitute. So if we had met her the day before these spies entered into her house, I don't think any one of us would have looked at her and said, now there's a woman that God can use. Now there's the kind of person that if God wants to use someone for his redemptive purposes, 
That's the kind of person that God can use. I think we would have looked at Rahab and we would have said, well, that is a prostitute. Maybe she didn't feel qualified to work another job. Maybe she felt that she was good at this kind of work and it was the only thing she could do. Maybe she enjoyed the money. Maybe it was just so much a part of the the culture in which she lived that she never thought twice about it. It's a good career. There's no way to sugarcoat this fact. Rahab was a prostitute living in an evil, heathen land, serving that evil, heathen land. And I think that that's just the point. I think if we sugarcoat it and try to explain it away, we miss the thrust of what's happening here. God used a prostitute, previously used by men for their own selfish pleasures, and now transformed into someone who will be used by God for his glory. So what I want to do this morning is basically point out three different observations from this, from this text, uh, three different ways that God transformed Rahab, three different ways that God used Rahab, and I hope that uh, this will be an encouragement for every one of us this morning who can say, yes, I am a broken individual. So number one, let me give them to you, then we'll dive into each one. Number one, God used Rahab's occupation as a prostitute. Number two, God used her by activating her faith. And number three, God used her to bring salvation to others. So let's dive into that first point. Number one, God used her occupation as a prostitute. We see right here in verse 1 that Joshua gets the call from God. It's time to enter into the land. You have the green light. And immediately Joshua sends out spies and says, go view the land, especially that city of Jericho, that fortified city, fortified, built with this wall, a massive wall surrounding it, which should be a terror to a group of nomads who have been wandering the wilderness for 40 years, right? But they believe in a big God. And they believe that this God will carry them through and will deliver his promises. Now, this brings us to an important question. This is somewhat of a rabbit trail I want to unapologetically take right now. Is the fact that Joshua is sending out spies into the land, is it a demonstration that Joshua lacks faith in God? For instance, some religious bureaucratic types would say, yes, it is. He should have just blindly gone into the land. God said he was going to do it. God said, go ahead and go. And with no preparation, with no thought, he should have just swam across the river and said, here we are, give us the land. But what we see, though, and this is something we're going to trace throughout the entire book of Joshua, is that God uses the, the, the careful preparation and work of the people to accomplish his purposes. All throughout the biblical story, we see God uh, giving the green light for people to act, for people to be about his business, to be about his mission. And then God uses those, that, those, those people and their, their creativity and their thinking and their minds and and their preparation and and their sweat to accomplish to bring about his mission in 
the world. So what we see here is that Joshua, believing God, carefully prepares for the mission that God has sent them on. And he sends out spies into the land, and the, the spies move into this, into, this, into this land, and they come right there in verse 1 to the home of a prostitute. Now in the ancient uh, world, a, uh, a, a hotel and a brothel would have been essentially one in the same. So as the spies are entering into this land, this miraculous provision of a um, place of security is given to the spies in the unlikely home of a prostitute. And what I want to show you here is that God didn't just simply use Rahab in spite of what she did. He didn't just use her in spite of her occupation. But God here is actually using Rahab because of what she did, because of her occupation, for his purposes. So think with me now. Ancient world, um, a, a, a hotel, a place of lodging, also a place, full service, you can come, and part of the package is a prostitute. This is most likely the picture of what's, what's happening here, the picture of this, this, this woman Rahab, who, who has this home that she has opened for, lodger, uh, for, for people in, in need of lodging to come through. Now, imagine with me the depravity of this. Think with me about the depravity of the land of the Canaanites, this land that God's judgment is about to come down upon. This specifically right here, the city of Jericho. Imagine if today in our culture it was commonplace for a well-respected man to go on a business trip and to stay at a day's inn and part of his package at the day's inn is free cable, a comfortable bed, a clean room, and a prostitute. That's his typical package. Imagine that depravity. This is the picture that we receive right here. And so uh, what, what we see happening is that the spies being spies, go where? To a place that they are not going to be found. They, the spies enter into this home where there's men constantly coming and going, and, and it becomes a natural place for the spies to hide. Now, what I want to point out here, what I want to point out is that God planned from day one that Rahab would end up in this place as a prostitute providing a place of protection for his people. Meaning, I don't care what you do for your, an, an occupation or what your background is, your past mistakes, your present failings. What we see here is that God uses who we are and our brokenness for his own purposes. So imagine with me, think back. Imagine you're, you're there with, with Rahab as she decides to go into the work of prostitution. Would you have ever thought that God is going to use that work of prostitution 
for his own purposes one day. As she goes to buy this house, it's going to be used for her business. Would you have ever thought this, this, this purchase of this house is going to be used by God for his eternal purposes in the world? From birth, God had been grooming Rahab for this moment. You see, we serve a God who is sovereign. We serve a God who, 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 who is in control. There's nothing outside of his authority. And he draws us up. He, 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 he not only saves us in spite of our failings, but he actually uses our, the, the, the biggest mistakes we can possibly make. He uses our massive failures for his purposes for his glory. Rahab was exactly where God was going to use her, and you you this morning, no matter what your failings are, no matter your past and present sins, you are exactly where God can use you. So the second observation is this. I I want you to see what God did here to make Rahab usable for his purposes. So number two, God used her by activating her faith. Look with me at verse eight. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This right here is known as Rahab's confession of her faith in God, and I want to break this down for you so you can see two different aspects of her confession of faith and what this confession of faith faith actually means for her and for her life. First, God activates Rahab's faith by, through the fear of man, being consumed by the fear of God. Now remember that Rahab is living in a terrifying city, surrounded by a large wall. Against all odds, the the spies of the enemy has come into her place. She knows who they are. Against all odds now, she is harboring the spies of the enemy, and their imminent death seems to be secured. And here she is, protecting them. What does this mean for her? This means that she is willing to go to, go, to, go to her own death for these spies. Most likely, her life is almost over. She doesn't have much time left. But what, what she, what's, what's happening here is, is Rahab is trading her fear of the sword. She's trading her fear of the king who has discovered the spies are there. She's trading her fear of rejection by her peers for the fear of the one who parted the Red Sea. We see right here in verse 9 and 10, if you look with me, 
We see in verse 9 and 10, she says that all of the citizens of Jericho are overcome with fear. All of the citizens of Jericho here are scared. There is a sense of what I would call unholy and general fear of God, meaning they're, they're afraid, they're scared that this God or the people, the, the people who worship this God are about to destroy them. But the kind of fear of God that Rahab has is entirely different than that. I want you to see how Rahab's fear of God is different than the general fear of God embraced by the others. We see right here in verse 11. She says, For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth. Her fear of God initially leads her to this realization that this God can destroy her. And I don't know, I'm, this, this may be uh, implied, but um, we could possibly say that she believes that this God very well justly could destroy her, and rightly so. But her fear of God doesn't end there. What we see here in verse 11 is that her fear of God leads her to this reverent and solemn confession of who God is. He is the God in heaven. He is the God in the earth. And then look at verse 12. Look what this leads her her then to. Now, Now then, she says, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have kindly dealt with you, that you will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. What we see is that her fear of God leads her to throw herself entirely into the mercy of God. You see, the fear of God is entirely different from the fear of man. The fear of man will destroy your soul, but the fear of God is this sense of a a, a holy and reverent uh, and, and, and awesome grip on the souls of God's people, which cause them to throw themselves entirely into the mercy of God and there they find rest. Friends, humanity is a race that is built to fear God. But because of sin, that fear has been perverted and that fear has been warped. And we, instead of fearing God, we have a careless attitude toward God and we then fear man. We fear what man can do to us. We, we isolate ourselves from those that are different. Because of our fear of man, we fudge on our work reports. Because of our fear of man, we lie to our loved ones. And you see, we will never replace our fear of man, which destroys the soul, unless we allow that to be consumed with a holy and reverent fear of God, which is freeing, which is life giving. Imagine if you had Rahab's kind of fear of God in your workplace. Imagine if as you're living your life and as you're dealing with your past faults, as you're dealing with your past failings, that you were overcome with Rahab's kind of fear of God. This this type of holy and reverent understanding of who God is. In that moment, the, the walls, the crushing walls of your failures present and past, 
would disappear. The tyranny of human opinion would dissipate. Because you would be so overcome with this reverence and this awe of who God is. And you would no longer see other humans in the same way. So Rahab's fear of man was consumed with a fear of God. This is her first, the first mark in her faith. But the second aspect of her confession is this. She was willing to sacrifice the only life that she knew for a life of pilgrimage and war. All she knew were the walls of that city. All she knew were the people of that city, the, the, the customs, the culture, her friends, her customers. And she was willing to give up the comforts of all that she knew to embrace a life as a pilgrim and as a, as, as, as a warrior. And what she finds as, we're, as we get into this study, and we, we're going to see this in Joshua chapter 6, what she finds is that she did not trade up one life that was generally good for another life that was hard. But she actually traded a life that was built on lies. An empire that was nothing, an empire that was quickly fading for a life that was real, that was, that was tangible, something that she could hang on to, a new citizenship. As a, as a congregation, we're, leading, we're reading uh, a book by Trip Lee called The Good Life. And I want to read to you a, a little bit from his book. He says this. Tripp says, We have been lied to. They told us that the good life means seeking our own happiness at all costs. And that our goal should be a life free from worry. And we believed them. Then Tripp goes on to name the source. He says, The Bible calls the devil the father of lies. The world is the system that supports and distributes his lies. You see, what Rahab did here, in, in walking away from the comforts and the culture of all that she knew, and embracing a life of pilgrimage and war, is exactly what the Christian life is all about. And what we discover as we enter into the family of God is that the world that we once lived and called home is a world that's built on lies. The lies of Happiness found in money, wealth, power, fame, even security. And what we find is we're freed from that and we enter into this life of, 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 of pilgrimage, of fighting the only fight that's worth fighting. What we discover is that it is the only life to live. You see, Rahab was not giving up some kind of relatively good life for a difficult life, but she was giving up an empire that was quickly fading for something that would last. And the Christian is one who is caught up out of the normal. We're caught up out of what everybody thinks is the normal way of life. And what we see now, what we find, is that that old way is actually kind of strange. It's foreign to us. And guys, if you don't think that the life of the world is strange, then I doubt that you're a Christian. You see, a Christian is someone who has been caught up out of that 
and these, these old lies that we once bought into about what is good, what is worth pursuing, we discover that, 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 that there is nothing there. As Jericho was quickly fading, in the same way we see that this is all quickly fading and we are just simply foreigners passing through. We are warriors in a land that's not ours. We are pilgrims on a journey. So we gather here on Sundays to be refreshed, to be warmed up by the fire, so to speak, but the Christian life is not fought here. We go back out as pilgrims into this world. We go back out on Mondays into your jobs, into your families, into your neighborhoods, fighting the fight, the only fight that's worth fighting, the fight for your marriages, the fight for the souls of your lost loved ones, the fight for the glory of God to be demonstrated and to be, to be seen in your neighborhoods and in your workplaces and in your families. Rahab moved from one family to another. She moved, her, her, her faith immediately drew her into action and she joined a different team. And more than a new citizenship, she passed from the kingdom of dark into the kingdom of light. And what she discovered was something entirely different than the life that she has ever known. Now check this out. God doesn't just simply transform you for your own benefit. And he didn't just simply transform or change Rahab, activate her faith for her own benefit. But look what God does now with Abraham, uh, Rahab. Uh, look at uh, verse 18 with me. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. This prostitute's house, which once reflected the culture of the world around it, this prostitute's house, which once reflected the customs, the religions, and the attitudes it was once used for men who were trying to escape their wives for a night, it was used for, as, as a place to pursue fleshly gain, was now being transformed into something that, that would demonstrate to the world the grace and the mercy of God through becoming a place of salvation for her friends and her family. And the symbol of that salvation would be what? Right there in verse 18, a scarlet cord. Now this immediately makes me think of the Passover. The blood of that lamb that was painted on the doorway of those in, in Egypt, the Israelites in Egypt. Do you remember this story? The night that the firstborn was going to be taken from each house. And if that blood of that lamb was splattered on the doorway, that blood became a symbol for, that, for, for, for the, the angel of the Lord to pass over the judgment of God to pass over, the wrath of God to pass over, because that house is covered in the blood. In the same way we see that picture here with Rahab. This house which was, which was once used as a place of prostitution, as a reflection of the culture around it, 
now with this blood-red cord hanging out the window, would be the sign that the judgment and the wrath of God would pass over the house and all that are in that house would be saved. Imagine her intensity in persuading her brothers and her sisters and her father and her mother to come into the house of salvation. I'm sure it was the only thing on her mind from this point on. And what we see in Joshua chapter 6 is that God indeed kept his promise to, to Rahab and she was saved along with her family. Now here's the point of the sermon. This is what I'm trying to build up to with all of this teaching. The point of the sermon is this. Rahab was a prostitute living in a heathen land that God used for his eternal purposes. Rahab was an unlikely candidate for God's work. Rahab is not someone that we would have looked at and said, now there's the kind of person that God can use. No, God took someone that we may well write off and transformed them and activated faith within them and gave them the ability to act in their faith and God used them for His eternal purposes. Now, not only for the protection of the spies, not only uh, for the the salvation of her family, not only uh, was she invited into the family of God, but check this out. When we get to the Gospels, when we get to the Gospel of Matthew, we see there the story of Jesus Christ. And Matthew starts out with the lineage of Christ. Here are the ancestors, here is the bloodline of Jesus. And as we read the the lineage of Christ, we again see names that sort of stick out to us, names that we would expect, such as Abraham and Jacob and Judah, people that that we would say, yeah, that makes sense. Those are Jesus' ancestors. And then right in the middle of that, that, that lineage of Christ in Matthew, we see this name, Rahab. Rahab. You see, not only did God use Rahab to to protect the spies, to bring salvation to her family, God used Rahab to bring about Jesus Christ. Jesus had the blood of a prostitute running through his veins the blood of an unworthy candidate for God's service. You see, being a Christian means that we look at God and we discover that there is more mercy and grace in God than there is sin in you. Being a Christian means that you then trade your little significance that you may have on this earth over the next 60 years or so You trade that for for an eternal significance in the redemptive plan of God. Rahab, the prostitute, gave birth to the lineage of Jesus Christ. Not only adopted into the family, not only commended in Hebrews for her faith, not only 
used it as an example in James for her faith put into action, but she gave birth to the lineage of Christ, and Jesus had this blood of this prostitute flowing through his veins, and as this blood-red cord hung out the window of her house, the symbol of the, the, the salvation, the protection of those inside the house, the blood of Jesus was, was poured out on the cross to cover each one of us. The blood of Jesus was splattered all over us. And the wrath, the judgment of God passes over all who are splattered with the blood of Christ. Jesus lived the life that the prostitute could never live. And through the great mercy of God, God sent His Son into this world to cover her and every single one of us broken people with His blood. Are your eyes this morning, are they focused on your faults? Are your eyes focused on your weaknesses? Are they focused on your background? Are they focused on your past sins and failures? Are your eyes focused on your present sins and failures and struggles? Or are your eyes focused on Jesus? This God who became flesh, whose blood has been splattered all over you for the forgiveness of your sins. Is the blood of Jesus enough for you this morning? Is it, an, is it enough? Or do you need something more? See, I, I believe that every single one of us who, whose eyes now are opened to God and we have traded our fear of man for the fear of this beautiful God and we, we have this holy and reverent understanding of who He is, as we see Him, what we see is the cross. And what we see is His grace and His mercy and what we realize is that His blood is indeed enough and that there is more mercy and grace in His blood than there is sin in me. And we are then covered in His blood. If you would have met Rahab one day prior to the spies entering, I don't think you would have said, now that's someone that God can use. But Rahab found the mercy of God. Rahab found the transformation of God. And here's the crazy thing. Rahab didn't do a thing to find God. God simply showed up in her house and said, here I am. I've come to you. And I pray that God has showed up in your house this morning and has opened your heart to his wonderful grace. Let's pray. God, we ask that you uh, seal this message of Rahab and, and your grace in our hearts and in our minds. I pray that we take our eyes off of our backgrounds, off of our failures, off of the fact that we're not a likely uh, candidate for your service. And what we find is that you indeed are a God of grace and mercy. And not only do you cover us and not only do you save us 
by the blood, but you then use us in your redemptive plan. And I pray that you do. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.